Today's podcast is brought to you by Something Blue by Anita Kay, specializing in wedding and event photography. Visit her page on Facebook. For those in love, capture those memories with Something Blue by Anita Kay. This is Unbridled Enthusiasm Podcast with Mark Poulos. So fuck you and fuck your baby and fuck your wife. <laughs> Why fuck them all? So you have headphones. We're recording at a barbecue gas station. We're not pausing this to put a baby in there. So, uh, so you can just stop it right. You're half drunk and high oh, trying to read a map. Right, here we go. We're literally. We are on, <laughs> on the edge of the Grand Canyon. That's my whole job when I'm on the road is protecting my butt. Stoner. And the fat man. He says, man. You really need to turn your life around. Fuck you, Mark. Mark, pull up the <laughs> Hello, folks, and uh, welcome back to the Unbridled Enthusiasm podcast. I'm the host, Mark Poulos. I don't know why I say that every time. It is kind of fun. <laughs> like, I'm the host of the podcast that I write and produce and whatever (laughs) you get into a groove and you just kind of say the same thing when the mic comes on but uh it is good to be back i love doing this podcast and i mean it's a nice extra outlet for me to kind of do material long form and and talk about stuff that's on my mind and people if they're still listening to this i'll keep doing it until somebody comes up to me and says uh you know that uh, podcast thing that you do? You should probably stop doing that. That's kind of how I make any changes in my career. <laughs> uh, I'm kind of fan-driven. I, uh, I'm sure I've talked about it before, but when I first started out in comedy, I needed to fill time. So I was playing, uh, I was playing funny songs on the guitar, and uh, and I was like thinking that that was the way to go like that's that extra thing that i would be doing on stage that people would remember me by and uh but i don't know what it was it was always like when i first started in comedy i always thought that i needed there had to be something a little extra you know like just me being on stage and doing stand-up like that wasn't going to be enough like to sell tickets and get booked and stuff like i'd have to have that that extra thing that uh would be you know bring people out and i thought early on that it was going to be the guitar and of course i think i've talked about it before but i was doing a week in uh detroit and uh i had played a funny song earlier in my set and i was going to pick up the guitar and play another one and a guy in the crowd said don't do it and i was like what and he said don't do it. Your material is so good. Don't play that guitar. It's horrible. And, you know, that was a week that I gave it up. And I don't know what it was. You know, it's just like, uh, I just always felt like I needed something a little extra that just me and the microphone wasn't going to be enough, you know. And thankfully, I've gotten to the point in my career where... um. I've kind of taken that mentality and turned it inwards and and made the material, you know, the certain jokes that people love and they come back and want to hear again, you know, those are the special things that they take with you, you know. 
Because there was a there was a time I was working with this guy Steve Ayad, and I don't know if I've told this story on the podcast before. I probably have. I don't even remember. I should probably keep a log of the stories that I tell on here. But we were working in Rochester, Minnesota together, and his kind of thing on stage is he does um, jokes, but he also involves a crowd and kind of weaves it all together into this really cool experience. But the show is based a, a lot on who's in the audience that night. You know, it's kind of spontaneous, and uh, and it's amazing. People love it. You know, he gets you know so many applause breaks when he's up there and after the show it was just very surprising because we were sitting in the back of the club and he turned to me and he said you know i'm just so envious of your material and i looked at him with this dumbfounded look and i'm like envious of me i am envious of your talent up there to do what you do and he's like yeah you know it's just all parlor tricks you know and people leave here they have a good time but I'm kind of not that, you know, rememberable, you know, people don't remember me, you know, and that when they're at the water cooler tomorrow and people are like, so what'd you do last night? And they're like, well, we went and saw this comedian at, at, at Goonies comedy club. And they're like, well, how was he? Oh, he was amazing. You know, so funny. And so, so, uh, entertaining. And they're like, well, tell us, you know, some of his jokes. And then, they have to be like, well, you know, he called this old lady old and this tall guy tall. You know, you're just going to have to go see it yourself, you know. And I kind of got what he was talking about because, you know, I don't think it was really on purpose when I started writing my material um, to make jokes that kind of had catchphrases in them and, you know, like Creep Squad and Flapjacks and Tits and, and Smilf and all this other stuff that I came up with in my writing career, but it was, uh, you know, just kind of the way that I wrote, you know, I wrote like, uh, I wrote that way and I don't know why it came out that way, but, um, so there's a lot of things that people can take away from my act that are very quick and poignant, you know, and they, and those ideas that they're taking with them, obviously, morphed into the the t-shirts that i sell after the show you know you can get a creep squad t-shirt you can get a flapjacks and tits t-shirt and and that kind of stuff and uh so he was like i'm just so envious of your material because people have a lot they can take with them and i have a lot of jokes that are really quick you know and they can tell their friends those jokes at work and and they can all sing flapjacks and tits together and and it's kind of this thing that that keeps my material alive long after the people have left the comedy club. And, and that was kind of a moment where I was like, you know, I need to try to find ways to do that more because I think that's the whole point of this business now is to be remembered. You know, there's so many avenues that you can find stand up comedy nowadays, whether it's a, uh, you know, XM radio or it's a, uh, you know, hulu's doing stuff now and and uh you need something extra you need that extra thing that that'll get people to remember you by because that's all it is nowadays you know it's like people people are like you know why is larry the cable guy famous and Bob Jackson, who's like a hundred times funnier than him, 
still schlepping around the road, it's, you know, because Larry the Cable Guy is, he's got that catchphrase that everybody loved, and <clears throat> he got so much exposure with the Blue Collar Comedy Tour, he's just out there as this guy who's funny and 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 going to do a good job, you know, so... I don't know. That's the whole. Uh, I don't even know what the hell I'm talking about. What you know? This is what happens when you uh, start recording a podcast and you have absolutely no idea what you were going to talk about. I mean, I had a general idea of what I wanted to talk about, and now I'm completely fucking off wherever the hell I am. I'm down in uh, Birmingham, Alabama, this week working at the Star Dome, and you know it's a tough week because it's like. Sunday or Tuesday through Sunday so I'm away for a long time and it's like one of those weeks we're back home like everything is going wrong and I'm like 17 hours away and I can't do anything about it so I can just you know sit here in my hotel room and pray that you know things stop being ridiculous back home and and calm and and my wife can relax you know it's just it's ridiculous man the road is is hard sometimes you know it's back when i first started you know it was amazing because you know i had never gone anywhere and then suddenly i'm going everywhere you know like i was in 40 different states within like two years I was seeing all these places I'd never been before and meeting a lot of people I'd never met before, obviously. And, you know, they give you the free drinks and you get to stay in the nice hotels and you get to see different areas, you know, and people think you're a rock star, you know, so they want to take you out and show you the town and treat you like a rock star. And and that's all well and good, you know. And then you get to where I'm at right now where almost 40, you know, got a wife and a daughter at home, and, uh, and it's like this, this hard ideals that are, you know, these two things that are, you know, bashing heads every week with me that, you know, I love this business, and I love being a stand-up comedian, but I obviously love my wife and my daughter, a tad bit more so it's like every time I leave there's like this you know five seconds of excitement that I get to go and do what I love which is followed by a week's worth of of angst because I want to be home with my wife and daughter so it's like I guess the only perfect weeks are when they're able to come with me on the road but even then, you know, it's kind of sucky because my wife gets stuck in the hotel room the whole time with our daughter and, you know, trying to get a, a two-year-old to go to bed in a hotel room that she's not used to is is really a, a tough thing to try to pull off. We were, uh, I don't know if I talked about this on the podcast, but it was like... Uh, February I think and I was working in Wausau Wisconsin at this uh comedy club over there called the Cuckoo's Nest and uh it's 
It's a newer club. They used to have it in a hotel, and now it's actually in an actual comedy club, and it was actually a lot of fun. Um, it just so happened that the hotel that they put us up in, a really nice hotel, it was the Stony Creek Inn, but the people, it was like the comedians, and then the rest of the hotel was this entire like preteen basketball tournament, and my wife you know uh my daughter is like at this age where she will sleep in strange places but you have to kind of separate her from the rest of the stuff going on because she's two years old she's excited about new things and and wants to be a part of whatever me and my wife are doing so like setting up a, a pack and play in the room where we're watching TV or talking or whatever, it's just not going to work because you put her in the back and play and she just wants to get out and walk around the hotel room and grab everything in the hotel room or, you know, sit with me or my wife and watch her stories on the iPad and stuff. It's just like, so you kind of have to have that separation. So we were able to figure out, um, like the, the the bathroom was huge in this hotel room and it had um like night lights in there and stuff so we were able to kind of set her up in there um off to the side in the pack and play and kind of separate her from us and and she was able to get some good night's sleep but so we're in this hotel with this entire like preteen basketball tournament people <laughs> and uh and so I head off to the show and 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 we put my daughter down to sleep and and she went to sleep pretty quick. And I'm kind of getting my stuff together to leave and it's like Clydesdales running down the hallway. And my wife is like losing her shit, you know, cuz this baby just went to sleep and she doesn't want to have to deal with a screaming baby the whole time I'm gone at the show. So I open the door, and I've never felt like an old man until this point. I open the door, and I'm like, will you kids cut the shit? I got a baby sleeping in here. And they they were like, what? And Because my daughter goes to bed at like 8, and I called down to the front desk, and I said, these basketball kids are acting like idiots up here. Is there anything you can do about it? And he said, well, technically quiet hours don't start in the hotel until 10 o'clock or something. And I was like, that is bullshit. I have a toddler up here trying to go to bed. Quiet hours start now, you know. And he actually, a comedy came up and, like, talked to him and told him to cut the shit, you know. And, and it quieted down for a while. And then uh, I think the, <laughs> the thing that literally almost had my wife lose her mind. And she's such a, <laughs> a genuinely kind, relaxed person most of the time. But if you push her to the edge and and she loses her shit, like, get out of her way. And so we had the basketball kids. So I had left for the show, and the basketball kids had calmed down, and my daughter had woke up from the basketball kids but then had gone back to bed, and everything uh, was relaxed. And my wife was watching a movie on TV, the baby sleeping. I'm out at the show. Everything's fine. And then just out of nowhere somebody banged on our hotel room door like knocked on it and my wife she was telling me later 
she's never been that angry in her entire life. She whipped the door open and there was a, a guy standing there with a bottle of champagne like um, somebody had ordered room service or something. And he was like, got your champagne. And she's like, wrong fucking door, idiot. And just slammed it in his face. Uh, I'm not sure that's exactly how it went down. But she was pretty upset about the whole thing. And and it's so funny because when you stay at certain hotels, the do not disturb sign on the door is a pretty powerful thing. Like, there's not much that a hotel employee will go through um, if they see that do not disturb sign. Like, if there's an emergency, they'll still knock on your door if there's a do not disturb sign on there. But sometimes if you put that sign on there and you've ordered room service or, or somebody to come up to your room or something and they see that sign, that sign means don't fucking disturb so they won't knock on your door. So sometimes if you ask for help or want somebody to come up to your room, you have to take the sign off so they know that they can knock on your door. Well, we had the do not disturb sign on and this fucking idiot was still knocking on our door and my wife is like, don't you see the sign here? It says do not disturb. So after all that, you know, my my daughter finally fell asleep, but it's like I feel selfish sometimes because I want them on the road with me all the time because I miss them, so I want them here, you know. But it's not it's not the best thing for my wife, you know. She's stuck here in the room with the baby the whole time. And uh, you know, hopefully when my daughter gets a little bit older, you know, it'll be a lot more fun, you know especially in the summers when they could come with me, you know, and we're in different, like, fun cities, and we can go, you know, to baseball games and water parks and that kind of stuff and do cool things, and she gets that experience of being on the road and seeing the country and stuff, but right now it's just, you know, a battle because she's two years old, and she's always hungry because she's my daughter, and she's gigantic, <laughs> and, you know, she's gets tired like toddlers get, you know, so there's, like, these small windows of time with her that you can do stuff you know it's like from eight o'clock to 1 p.m you can do things and then from like three o'clock to eight o'clock you can do stuff and so it's tough man it's tough to be on the road um and you know 90 percent of the time i'm staying in hotels that don't have a kitchen or a kitchenette so it's i'm always eating out and the uh, healthy options that are relatively cheap or uh, so few and far between, you know, it's, I, I don't know, man, you know, because you always, you always think to get something quick, you know, and cheap because you're trying to save money on the road and, and, uh, and fuck, man, don't get me started on the gas. Because people don't think about that a lot. I don't think a lot of people understand, like, being a comedian that you have to pay for everything, you know? There's only those certain guys that are in the upper echelons that if you, like, if they get booked at the Improv in Kansas City, that that they're not only going to pay for them to come there, they're actually going to pay for their plane ticket to come in and and all that kind of stuff. Us guys that are on the lower rungs, like, we're driving most of the time. And we have to take the responsibility of getting ourselves to the comedy club, and that means driving long periods of time and paying for gas and everything. And 
And it's crazy because Birmingham, Alabama is 17 hours from my house. So I made that drive, and uh, I think it cost me 90 bucks in gas. So it's going to be like almost 200 bucks in gas total to get back home. And, and that's why I sell stuff after the show. You almost have to at my level. You know, if you can sell four or five shirts a show, you know, it ends up being your gas money to get home and your money to to buy food for the week. So that's why people sell stuff. And it is funny because when I first started, I was always selling something. I don't know why. I, I just always had that thought in my head where I'm like, listen, if I'm going to be on the road doing comedy... I should sell stuff. So the uh, so the first time that I went on the road, and I I think I talked about it last week on the podcast or two weeks ago, was uh, I was doing these triple run things, and uh, so I was thinking to myself, I'm like, I got to come up with a funny shirt that I can sell after the show so I can make gas money and hotel money and stuff like that and at the time I didn't have that much material I think I had maybe like 20 minutes of jokes I'd only been doing comedy for almost a year at that point so the one big joke that I had that that I would close on and it would get a big laugh was um, people always ask me if I play football because I'm so big and I my response would always be um, no, I couldn't play football because I have bad knees. It was from all those years of begging for sex. Parata, <laughs> gold, baby, and uh, so <laughs> I contracted this guy to do a cartoon of supposedly me kneeling in front of a beautiful woman, and we were going to have that on the back of the shirt. And then the front of the shirt would have the joke, um, I have bad knees because I always beg for sex. And then the cartoon on the back. Not really thinking in my brain, like, who the fuck is going to buy this shirt? I mean, the only person that's going to buy that shirt is somebody who thinks it's funny and is going to give it to their friend who's a big guy and plays football or something like that. I wasn't really thinking of that, like, marketing-wise, if I was going to be selling shirts or whatever, who was going to buy the shirt, you know? So I made up, like, a 100 of them and took them on the road with me. And, and let's just say sales were sparse, <laughs> very sparse. But I sold a few, you know, just to make gas money and everything. And and uh, so I don't I don't think I sold that shirt ever again after that tour because I realized how stupid of an idea it was and then the uh, the next funny shirt that I came up with was um, based on one of the funny songs that I wrote called Have You Ever Been So Drunk and it was a song where it was just like all the stupidest things that I did when I was drunk you know like fell down a hill and and you know fought with a cop and all this kind of stuff so the front of the shirt said <clears throat> have you ever been so drunk 
and then on the back was all the lyrics from the song and i sold that shirt for i feel like i didn't sell it for that long that shirt either for that long because nobody was buying it um so I remember after that shirt, I kind of took a hiatus from selling funny shirts for a while because in my head, I'm just like, I don't see any of my jokes as a t-shirt idea. Nobody's buying them. Um, so I'm just going to kind of not sell them for a while. So I think it was right around that time I recorded my first comedy album. And so I kind of focused my my energy selling my funny CD after the show's and that went pretty well like it was back in the time people actually had cd players and bought cds so i sold quite a few of those and then i remember working with this guy and uh where the hell was it i think it was like in moorhead at courtney's comedy club and he was selling a shirt that said i don't know it was something about being drunk and fucked up or something like that and the money that this guy had on the table it was just like wads and wads of money and i was like holy shit (coughs) i went back to my room that night and i'm like i need a funny shirt again like i need to come up with an idea that's going to sell and 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 i need it like yesterday because i gotta get in on this money because we were there for three nights and I would say he probably made like $2,000 you know, selling funny shirts. So I kind of researched it a little bit online and I was like, what, what are the shirts that sell? And it basically came down to like two ideas. The shirts that sold a bunch were the shirts that involved drinking and shirts that had the word fuck on it. And at the time, I wasn't really saying fuck on stage. I was trying to be a cleaner comic. So I was like, well, I got to come up with a shirt that talks about drinking. So uh, I can't really remember how it began. Wow, my mind is really... I think it just like burst out of... Like I was thinking to myself, like I need a drinking shirt. What's the drinking shirt going to be? And the the idea was just like well how about i'm not drunk i'm just an asshole that was the idea and i was like and i couldn't get behind it at first i'm like i don't know if that's gonna work so what i would do early on is i would buy bumper stickers with my shirt idea on it and then i would try to sell because you could buy like 100 bumper stickers for like $40 or something like that. Whereas like if you needed to get a hundred shirts, you're looking at like seven, 800 bucks. So I bought the bumper stickers and I started selling them. And after like the 15th person was like, if that was on a shirt, I would buy it. That's when I made the shirts. So the original shirt said, I'm not drunk. I'm just an asshole. And that was my first big shirt that sold after shows. I sold so many of them. And then I think it was maybe like almost four years after I started selling that shirt, I was in Dayton, Ohio, and this girl came up to me after the show, and she said, you know, how dare you sell a shirt that says asshole on it and not have a shirt that says bitch on it? And I was like, I don't know if I could sell a shirt that says bitch on it. And she's like, of course you could. 
you know, just have it say, I'm not drunk, I'm a bitch. And then from really far away, it looks like drunk bitch. And I was like, did you really just hand me that idea? Because I got to tell you guys, and I still sell the drunk bitch shirt to this day. I retired the drunk asshole shirt like five years ago because I showed up at a show and I went on stage and there was like six guys in the front wear, front row wearing drunk asshole shirts. And I'm like, I feel like this shirt's kind of run its course. <coughs> so I still sell the drunk bitch shirt right now. It's been like nine years and it still sells. But um, so that shirt kind of inspired me to redo the drunk asshole shirt. So, so I redid the drunk asshole shirt where it said, I'm not drunk, I'm an asshole. And from far away, it just looked like drunk asshole. And then that shirt started selling a shit ton more. And, uh, and so for the longest time, it was I had the drunk asshole shirt and the drunk bitch shirt and what the funniest part about the whole thing was with the drunk asshole and the drunk bitch shirt i didn't even do a joke about it in my act i would literally get the shirts at the end of the show and i would say i sell these shirts after the show just to make gas money i don't even tell a joke about these shirts for a while i actually tried to write a joke to go with the shirt and the joke would do horrible and it would hurt shirt sales so i just said fuck it i'm just gonna say I didn't even do a joke about it. Here are these shirts. And they would sell like hotcakes. And uh, so I had those two shirts for a long time. And then uh, and then came the Smilf shirt. So I started writing this material um, about dating single moms because, you know, you write what you know. And at the time, for some reason, I dated three single moms in a row and I wrote all this material about dating them and it really hit home with a lot of people in the audience I used to talk about how they had really good snacks and it made me feel like a kid again and and I mean how amazing you know you could have this amazing sex with a single mom and then have the snacks I'm sure you guys have heard the joke anyways it's on my albums so once again like I coined this phrase smilf instead of milf I I did Smilf to kind of separate myself away and it just stood for single mom instead of just mom. So my first idea for the single mom shirt was I had a hello my name is sticker on the front of the shirt and it was screen printed on there and then in the memo part it said uh, single mom fan club and then on the back it was a picture of me which I still don't know why the hell I agreed to that, with like a little talk bubble that said, sex and snacks, hell yeah. (laughs) So I got those shirts. I got a 100 of them, and it was right before I was going to go do a a tour in Canada. And I got these 100 shirts. (laughs) And at the time, people were selling funny shirts after the show for like 15 bucks. And now funny shirts are all like $20 after the show. Like if a comedian, if you see a comedian and he's selling a funny shirt after the show, it's going to be 20 bucks. You know, it's just easier. There's no change. And, and I think that's what they're worth, you know, because you're not only buying a funny t-shirt, you're kind of buying a piece of their act to take with you. It's a souvenir, you know, but, uh, 
so I brought those hundred shirts with me to Canada and I and it was funny because I did I got there on like a on a Wednesday and my first gig was on Friday. So I was just kinda of hanging out in the hotel where the main comedy club was and they called my room and they said they said, Mark, are you here? And I said, Yeah, I'm here in my room and they said whoever the feature act was got stuck in a blizzard and he's not gonna make it tonight can you come down and do the feature spot? And I was like, fuck yeah, let's do this, you know? So I grabbed my box of shirts and I head down to the show. And I do my set and then I hold up this funny shirt and the whole club goes bananas. And so after the show, um, I don't know why I did it, but I said, these shirts are $15 or two for 20 I don't know what the fuck I was thinking. I sold them all. I sold a hundred t-shirts in that one show. I had nothing left. I was going to be in Canada for a month. I had nothing. I sold all that show. I tried to get my t-shirt guy to mail me t-shirts and he wouldn't because of customs and trying to get the stuff over the border. And I still had funny CDs with me. I sold those like the end of the week i had nothing to sell for like three weeks in canada i was so fucking pissed off but i came home and i made um i made that shirt like a couple more times and it sold okay and then like some of my shirts i kind of re like a lot of my shirts i reinvent them so i sat down with a graphic arts guy and i was trying to come up with a better idea for my funny shirts so that's when we made um, a Navy shirt for the single mom because I was thinking like, I used to do this bit about Smilf sounded like Smurf and people would get confused. Anyway, so we did a blue shirt and then on the front of it, it said, I heart Smilfs. And then on the back, it said, porn star sex and kick ass snacks. And it had a Teddy Grahams box on it. And I cannot tell you how many of those shirts that I sold it was ridiculous but what I <clears throat> what I couldn't foresee was I had single moms saying that they wanted me to make a shirt that was for single moms and I was just like that seems weird but I'll do it so I'm I went and I made the single mom version of the shirt where it was pink and on the front it said single moms rule and then on the back, it was basically the same design, but it said, we have kick-ass snacks or something like that. My God, I could not imagine how many of, of those shirts that I was going to sell. It was just ridiculous. I remember one time I did a bowling alley in Musing, Michigan, and there was like 200 people at the show, and I held up my funny shirts the entire, I, I don't know if it was the entire crowd, it seemed like the entire crowd got in a line waiting to buy my shirts. It was ridiculous. <clears throat> so, after a certain amount of time, I kind of let go of the single mom shirts because I'm married now. You know, I was with my wife, and she asked me if I could not do the single mom stuff and sell the shirts after the show. And, and at first, I was like, what? You know, and then I kind of was like, yeah, I guess that is kind of disrespectful, you know, I'm with my wife and I'm talking about how I like to bang single moms. It's kind of a shitty way to go. So 
I was so scared to give up that material, though, you know, like in my head, I was like, how am I going to be successful again without my single mom bit? Like, I felt like it was, you know, my cornerstone bit that everybody remembered me, you know, and then, of course, flapjacks and tits came along and just blew that thing out of the water. So I wrote flapjacks and tits. Um, I think it was like... I think it was like 2007 um it happened like the event happened where the joke is based on i was in branson with uh my buddy mike merrifield and we were doing this gig down there that they were trying to break into branson it was absolutely horrible we did like six nights there and the most people we ever had was like five at the show so we went to IHOP after the show and the whole thing happened with the waitress with the big boobs and and she wanted to show them to us for $41 and <clears throat> so I sat on that kind of story for the longest time and I think it was maybe like 3 years after that I was working in uh Toledo with Dave Landau who's a really big comic now too and we went to Friendly's restaurant, I'll never forget it, and, and we were kind of trading funny road stories, and I told him that story about uh, the Flapjacks, uh, the lady at the IHOP, and he said, man, you should tell that story, it's really funny, and I go, I don't really know how to tell that story, so we riffed back and forth and ended up writing the joke at that point, and I tried it out that weekend, and it did really well, and then... I think it was like Saturday, I came up with the jingle of flapjacks and tits, you know. And then I had that bit for a couple more years before I thought it would be funny to make a flapjacks and tits shirt. Like the original flapjacks and tits shirt, which is kind of funny to think back to it now, is all it said was flapjacks and tits and there was a bunch of music notes around the words was the original shirt and then uh i was doing a gig in minneapolis at the joke joint and a couple of my buddies from high school came out and they were telling me about a shirt they had made for like a college reunion or something and it had something to do with pancakes on the shirt that made it look like boobs and i asked them if it would be okay if I kind of used that idea and they were like yeah it's fine so I, I morphed it you know I made my pancakes different from what theirs and then just had the flapjacks and tits and of course that shirt was an absolute monster and uh sold a ridiculous amount of those and I think it was it's only been a few years that I came up with the compliment to that shirt, which was kind of the tag to the joke, was I, I said flapjacks and tits, and then I was doing a New Year's Eve show in Rochester, and this lady said, I like that joke where you say flapjacks and dicks. And I was like, I didn't say dicks. And her husband was like, don't worry, I'm taking her home to give her waffles and cock. And I just started laughing so hard. And obviously, at least from my point of view, that's the best part of the joke is where he says waffles and cock so i spent a lot of time trying to figure out how to make that a shirt because i didn't want to sell a shirt that said cock on it and then my shirt guy thankfully he was like well why don't you just put a rooster on it 
you know, and that way it's clean and still funny. So that's where the waffles and cock shirt came from. So it's like all these ideas. And then of course, uh, a few years ago, the creep squad shirt showed up and now, uh, just recently I redid the, uh, flapjacks and tit shirt. So it's the, uh, the IHOP logo, but it's got flapjacks and tits on it and it's doing really well, but you know, people don't really think about the road life and, and how we actually make our money, but merchandising is a huge part of it. And from my point of view, the only way that you can really make money at it is it has to be a quick idea, obviously a funny idea, something that people really want to buy, and uh, it it should be connected to your act because that's the best way to sell something. So those that's my two cents. Truthfully, I don't know what this podcast ended up being. I think it was like a little bit about life on the road and where are we now and and mostly about merchandising, but who the hell knows, but it's a podcast. I got no idea what the hell I'm going to talk about when I hit record. Sometimes I have a general idea, but most times I don't, but anyways, you can get this podcast at iTunes, Podbean, Stitcher, tuned in, uh, so check that out and check out my website largedrunkman.com I just uh, put some new dates up there for the summer and the fall and uh, I still love doing this I'm I'm probably going to be recording my uh, fourth full length comedy album in the fall it's going to be entitled uh, Husband Father Idiot and uh, be a lot of jokes about being a father and and just trying to live life as a as a husband and a father as a comedian on the road and got a lot of new material that I'm working on that I'm I'm really happy about cuz it's like you know when you're a father and you have a daughter especially you know at first you don't really think about certain things but then it just like all starts hitting you like you know we're I'm only like 12 years away from like her having her own phone and dating boys and shit. And I'm just like, I need to start working on my relaxation right now, you know. But uh, it's an amazing thing, man. My daughter is an amazing little farty pants. And uh, when she smiles, when I get home from the road and comes running to hug me... <laughs> There's no better feeling in the world, man. It's just nothing. But uh, thanks to all the people who listen to my podcast. And uh, you know, tune in next time when we talk about, truly, who the fuck knows. <laughs> <laughs>